Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And, but Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if, if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. He rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man the one who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall lowering him in a basket. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege to meet together this morning, to come to hear good things from you, our great God. Bless us as we uh, read and as I preach the word, may it be in line With your truth, I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. I've got a friend uh, named Ted Winger, and he's a Presbyterian pastor. We used to serve 
in RUF together. I saw Ted a few weeks ago at General Assembly, and it reminded me of what I think is a pretty incredible story from Ted's life. Uh, Ted, Ted has a problem uh, with snoring. Now, to say that he has a problem is an understatement. He is somewhere between a grizzly bear and Sasquatch. Um, at RUF conferences, at training, uh, the person who drew the shortest straw had to end up uh, rooming with Ted. That person often ended up sleeping on the floor of someone else's room. And my greatest uh, memory was somebody just went to the lobby of the hotel room of the hotel and slept on the couch. Uh, earplugs were useless against his snoring. Uh, it was just this guttural, deep, um, awful thing. And uh, I have experienced it before. And so finally, Ted decided that he would go and uh, get a sleep study. And he has a severe case of sleep apnea. And during the study, they realized that he was waking up multiple times in the night because he couldn't breathe. So uh, they gave him this forced air CPAP machine. Maybe some of you have them. Maybe you've seen them before. You kind of look like Darth Vader and a fighter pilot with this thing over your face. And uh, it helps you uh, not snore anymore. And uh, so I saw Ted after he, he went and got this uh, device, and I said, Ted, hey, man, how's it going? How's the, how's the new uh, the snoring, the anti-snoring machine working for you? And uh, he got really serious, and he said, Josh, I am a new man. I've never felt this much energy. I've never felt this rested. I don't remember feeling this good in my entire life. Now it's not a surprise for us as we think about Acts chapter 9, as we think about uh, Saul becoming a Christian, that there was a radical change that took place in his life. We know this. Uh, we, uh, we even use this story as a synonym, as an illustration, to talk about someone, someone's life that's been changed. We say he had or she had a Damascus Road experience. When someone's life is totally transformed, when it's turned around, we think about what happened with Saul as he went to Damascus. Dennis Johnson, one of, the, one of my favorite commentators on the book of Acts, says this, that the conversion of Saul is one of the three watershed events highlighted in the book of Acts. The conversion of Saul is one of the things that shaped and changed the trajectory of Christianity in the first century and even into today. It's always good, it's always good for us to remember that God changes people. That the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us. From the very beginning, God has been pursuing people and He's been changing them by his radical love and grace and mercy. And sometimes that change happens when people hit rock bottom, when they don't have anywhere else to go, when they're confronted with their own sin and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what happened here. But it's also good to remember that God can change people slowly and progressively, line by line, 
precept by, by precept. This week we just finished uh, an incredible week of Vacation Bible School, and uh, it was so beautiful to see all different folks from the church working together to serve our children and the youth and the children working hard to learn about the Lord. And wouldn't it be an incredible testimony if one of these children that came to Bible school this week, they, they grew up, they went to high school, they went off to college, maybe they got married one day, maybe, sorry parents, they moved to a different state, and uh, they sit down with their new church family and their new friends, and what if they could say to them, you know what, I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know that I needed Jesus Christ. I don't remember a time when I wasn't trusting that He is my Lord and my Savior. One of Paul's disciples had a testimony like that. It's Timothy. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So whether it's a Damascus Road experience or by the slow and steady growth of God's covenant promises, this morning I want us to remember that God is still at work. God is still changing people's lives. God is still on a mission, and he's making those that were his enemies his friends. He's, he's adopting folks into his family. So the first thing I want us to think about this morning is war, uh, what is it good for? War, what is it good for? Uh, Saul was at war with Christianity. That's uh, plain and simple. Before he was confronted by Jesus, stopped in his tracks, he was still persecuting Christians. He was out to get them. And it wasn't simply that he had a a passive disagreement with Christianity and Christians. Saul was on the warpath. He was no longer satisfied with simply persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. He wanted to take his his persecution of Christians on the road. And so in chapter 9, verse 1, it says that he was still breathing threats and murder against, against the disciples of the Lord. Every word that came out of his mouth had something to do with destroying and taking down Christianity and those who followed Christ. So he got letters, the text tells us, from the high priest in Jerusalem to take to Damascus. Damascus is about 150 miles away from Jerusalem. That's a pretty long haul back in those days. And he would get these letters and he would take them to the local leaders of the synagogue. And these letters basically said, do whatever you can to help Saul in arresting Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem. There are a few things that I want us to think about, a few points of application. Uh, First of all, Saul was filled with anger and hatred. And uh, that's not a a mystery to us. I think it's pretty clear. But uh, by way of application, I think as we think about what he became, we can look at ourselves and look at the anger and the bitterness that... 
can so easily take root in our own lives. Anger and bitterness is a dangerous cocktail for human beings. And uh, he is an example of anger run wild. And I think it's a simple call for us to deal with and address and repent of the anger that we let grow within us. Noah Gunderson is a songwriter, a singer, and in, in his song, The Middle of June, it, there's a line like this. Hatred is a sharp knife held by the blade. It's cutting in your palm till you feel no pain. It's burning in your eyes with a righteous rage till the ashes blow away. That's one image of what anger can do to and for us. Another simple point of application as we think about how Saul was at war with Christianity, at war with the Lord Jesus himself, is that there will always be, until Jesus comes back, there will be those that hate Christianity and Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself, if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ is so beautiful and counterintuitive that Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe some of you have seen on social media this week some of the families of those slain in Charleston speaking to the accused. It's absolutely powerful. They said words like this, you've taken away someone most precious to me, but I forgive you. I call for you to repent, to confess, and to trust in him who makes all the difference. And that type of power that type of radical kindness, even in the face of those who have hurt us so deeply, is one of the things that makes Christianity so powerful and special. And it flows from, it comes from Jesus Christ himself. It's one of the things that can break people's hearts to the gospel. We'll see it later on in the book of Acts, but there was a, there was a jailer in Philippi who's Life was changed by an act of kindness by uh, Paul and Silas. So Saul was at war with Christ and Christianity, but soon he was blinded by the light. That's the second thing I want us to see uh, this morning, blinded by the light. As Saul was on the war path, He was approaching Damascus. He was probably getting excited about his task. He was getting ready. Jesus was about to ambush him. And the the passage says, look at verse uh, 3 with me. Suddenly, a heavenly light flashed around him. You remember during Jesus' earthly ministry, what did he say? I'm the light of the world. And his transcendent power and glory shined all around Saul. And It's like when he was transfigured. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face was altered, his clothes became like dazzling white. The glory that Jesus had with the Father for all eternity was shining forth here, and it it encircled Saul. And this wasn't some 
freak of nature. This was God's uh, coming to rescue, coming to stop Saul in his tracks. So he was blinded by this light. There was a heavenly light all around him. And then he said these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul is a point of emphasis. It's kind of like when my mother used to say to me, Joshua, Allen, Martin, my ears would perk up. Saul, Saul was for him to listen, and uh, he knew things were serious. He fell to the ground, and he said, who are you, Lord? I think deep down he knew this was kind of his last-ditch effort. Maybe this isn't really happening to me. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 5, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, the biblical record isn't really clear for us on this, but there's no biblical evidence that Saul actually encountered Jesus Christ when Jesus was alive during his earthly ministry, before his crucifixion and resurrection. So think about what this means. Do you see how glorious and beautiful these words all are? Saul was persecuting Christians. He signed off on the murder of Stephen. He was breathing out lies and murder toward all of God's people. Yet Jesus said, you are persecuting me. This is one more glimpse, one more snapshot of the fact that Christians are so closely and intimately united to Jesus Christ... That when we're persecuted, when we're hurt, when we're sad, when we're alone, when we're alienated and confused and heartbroken, Jesus doesn't simply know about our woes. He he identifies with us. The Bible says that he's a sympathetic high priest. He cares for us. This past Wednesday, uh, during Bible school... Uh, 15 or 20 of us were in the the office that was like the command central for Bible school and uh, we huddled around a computer uh, because the James Holmes trial was going on and it wasn't simply because we were interested in the outcome of the trial. We huddled around the computer to watch what was happening because Bonnie Kate Pouchot was testifying. Bonnie Kate was injured. She was... Uh, shot in the theater that night almost three years ago, and she was testifying in court. And we watched, and we were silent. And when it was over, we let out a collective sigh, and some of us wept tears of relief. Why? Well, it's because Bonnie Kate is part of our family. She is one of us. Jesus feels that way about his children in spades. And so he said to Saul, it's Jesus whom you are persecuting. We also see humbled obedience in verse 6. Jesus says, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are To do, uh, the time for fighting Jesus was over. Saul couldn't fight anymore. He was blinded 
he was humbled. Later on in Acts, we hear that Saul was kicking against the goads or kicking against the pricks. And that means that deep down, even as he persecuted Christians, as he killed Stephen, he knew. He knew that Jesus was the Christ. He just didn't want to believe it. He didn't want to obey. He didn't want to bow the knee to King Jesus. And those times, they're now over. And so they led him by the hand into the city at the Lord's command. And then in verse 9, it says that for three days he was without sight and he didn't eat or drink. Think about what must have gone through Saul's heart and mind in those days. He was alone in more ways than one. He probably weeped, sorrowful, kicking himself, despair, doubt. Just think of all the thoughts. He was humbled to the dust. Maybe you've been in a place like that before in your life. Weighed down by heartbreak, the sadness of death, crushed by the regret of the own, your own bad decisions that you have made. God can meet us and care for us in the darkest places in our lives. Saul waited in Damascus for instructions. He waited on the Lord. Later on in the passage it says that he was praying. We don't know what his prayers were, but he know that he, we know that he was talking to God. So he was humbled. He, he was blinded by the light. And the last thing I want us to see is that we are family. Uh, that's the third thing. We are family. There are several blessings and dynamics of being in a family, aren't there? Every family is different. Every family is unique. And one of the first things that God had to do in this story was to convince Ananias that Saul was actually part of God's family now. The, the camera turns from Saul on the road to this man named Ananias. He was a follower of Jesus. And he needed to be convinced that Jesus really was, uh, that, that Saul really was a follower of of Jesus. So the Lord appeared to him in a vision. He said that uh, you should go to this specific place and lay your hands on this man that he might receive his sight. But what did Ananias do? In verse 13 we read this, that he, he said, Lord, I've heard of this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's actually come here to arrest people and take them back to Jerusalem. And notice that the Lord doesn't rebuke Ananias. He simply encourages him and he commands him, Go, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was all Ananias needed to hear. God explained where Saul would fit into the family of God, into his perfect plan. He said, I've chosen him. He's my instrument. I'm going to use him for my glory. He will tell people about my name. And so, the passage says that Ananias departed and entered the house. Verse 17. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias laid hands on Saul, and I think it's fair for us to believe that he probably didn't stand off like this and put a finger on him. Um, He probably put his hands on Saul's head, on his shoulders, and then he said these beautiful words. Brother Saul, let that set in for a second. Brother Saul, he murdered and persecuted Christians. Brother Saul, he hated Jesus Christ and all that he stood for. Brother Saul. There are three parts to this simple speech that Ananias gave. Jesus sent me so that you could receive your sight and so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent me so that you can be loved and accepted and forgiven and used by God. And immediately Saul was a new man. The scales fell from his eyes. He was baptized, signifying his union with Christ and the washing away of his sins. He took food because he had new life. He was strengthened and he was brought into the family of God. And this is really, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest expressions and reminders in the Bible that it does not matter what you've done or who you are. God can change you. He can give you life and He can make you whole. No matter how shattered or broken your past might be, no matter what you've done to hurt others or what others have done to hurt or abuse you, you can be accepted by Jesus Christ. No matter what pattern of sins seem to be controlling your life now. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel trapped, imprisoned, enslaved. Maybe no one else knows. And you think there's no way that things will ever change. God can change you. Maybe you feel like your life is just broken beyond repair and you think, my case is different, I'm damaged goods, I'm a lost cause. Listen, there is real and living hope in Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying nice preacher talk. These aren't just words that a preacher says. I'm telling you, God changes people. He gives new hope and new life to folks who don't deserve it and folks who least expect it. And I have been the recipient of that hope time and time again in my life. Saul is a neon light of what God can do to change folks. So Ananias was convinced 
Saul was accepted, and then the next thing we read from the passage is that he confounded the Jews in verses 19 through 22. One of the first things Saul did, well, he started to preach. And uh, one of the privileges about being part of a family is to tell other people about how awesome your family is. And grandparents are really good at this. Some of them even have a bumper sticker that says, let me tell you about my grandchildren. Um, And one of the blessings of being part of the family of God is that we get to tell others about what God has done for us. And that's what happened here with Saul. He began immediately to tell people about Jesus. And the, the text says in verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Can you imagine what those conversations might have looked like early in the morning, late at night, talking about the wonder of God's grace in the gospel? And then he went to the synagogues and Saul, of all people, went to tell folks that Jesus, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. Saul was growing from strength to strength, even though people knew why he had come. He tells that he was convincing folks that... Jesus was the Christ. And if you think about it, Saul had functionally already been to seminary. He uh, was trained by the best teachers. He knew the Bible inside and out. He had this grid, but he was simply missing the most important part. He was kind of like a sports car, a Porsche or a Lamborghini that didn't have any spark plugs. You could turn it over and over and over again, but the engine wouldn't start because it doesn't have any fire. And he was missing Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And now that he was confronted with the grace of God, he was able to tell people, all of this is about Jesus. And the juxtaposition from verse 1, where he was breathing out threats and murders to now telling people that Jesus is the Christ. That's just God's beautiful timing. He was proving that Jesus was the Christ. And he also had to escape. Uh, The last part is kind of interesting. He went from being the hunter to the hunted. He was going to persecute Christians. Now the Jews in Damascus wanted to kill Saul. And he and the disciples found out about it. They were waiting at the gates of the city day and night so that they could kill him. And they had to let him out through a basket. Think about the change. He probably rode into town. He was coming to town with an entourage, with authority, with power, pomp, and circumstance. And he's going to go and take care of Christianity. And now he's being let through the wall in a basket. And he probably had to run away like someone who escaped from jail. And you know what I think Saul would have said about it then? And what he'd say to us now about that and everything else that he went through? I'm not a betting man, but I bet you a lot of money he would say, it was all worth it. Every single minute was worth it. You remember what he said in Philippians chapter 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As we close, um, I guess an appropriate question for us this morning might be, are you a new woman, are you a new man? Are you a new boy or a new girl because of Jesus Christ? Have you been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not that your life is perfect and everything just lines up in a row, but has has His grace um, transformed and changed your life? Are you being changed by the gospel of Jesus? He's still working at rescuing people and changing people and transforming people. Do you guys remember in the gym in high school, maybe in the, the, the foyer of the gym, there was a trophy case. You remember the trophy case in high school? For some of you, it'll be harder to remember than others. Um, it has the trophies of all the different sports that the teams that, that your school participated in. You've been to the PMAC. Seen in the rafters, the banners that are hanging there, the the jerseys that are retired. I think the that Saul is like a trophy of God's grace. And so through the, the life of Saul, we don't look at him and what he was able to do and say, Saul was just an awesome guy. No, we we look at Jesus Christ. We look at what He was able to do and accomplish. And the thing that's beautiful is that God has been adding folks to His trophy room throughout the ages. And there are people where He could point to and He could say, I saved her from self-righteousness. I saved him from addiction. I carried them by God's grace out of hatred and prejudice. And the thing that's so amazing is we get a glimpse. He's not finished with the trophies in this room, but we see, we see firsthand what God is doing. Sometimes we hurt each other and we fall and we fail, but other times we can say, it is incredible what God has done in her life. It's amazing to see how God has changed and continues to change him. We're works in progress. Now we can still look at each other and say, look what God has done. My friend Ted was a new man. He is a new man. And we can all be new men and women, boys and girls, because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for coming to rescue someone that hated you 
and for extending your grace to folks like us who maybe we weren't persecuting Christians, but at some point in our lives we, we didn't want anything to do with you, O oh God. And so we pray that you would teach us to love you and to love our neighbors and teach us to remember that you can change us. And if we are trapped, uh, I pray that you give us the courage to come to you and to come to others for help. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, we'll take up an offering to support the work and worship of our church. If you're not a member of our church, feel no obligation to give. Um, We'll take up the offering at this time.